Thanks so much for checking out this episode of our Philippi Conversations podcast. Normally we just jump right into it, but with this particular one, I wanted to give a little bit of a preface. I picked two people in particular uh, that I thought could speak into this moment that we're in in time, uh, this politically charged moment, Black Lives Matter protests, uh, the death of George Floyd, call to defund the police. I thought it would be maybe helpful for us as Christians to sit back and listen to two brothers in Christ who have experiences that could help us understand how to think about this. First of all, uh, we have Terry Monroe, who is um, an African-American who uh, attends uh, this church here at Philippi. Uh, obviously, having grown up, has experiences with police officers, things that I thought could be helpful in understanding um, how he's feeling. Uh, and then also Eric Milgren, who is the former chief of police in Medford, former public safety director in Grants Pass. Both of these individuals are Christians, and both of these individuals I think will help shape a little bit of the way we, maybe we should think about this whole situation. So there's a lot of really good, interesting content here that I think we need to hear as a church. So I hope that you guys will stay tuned in and listen. Uh, so I want to introduce you guys uh, really quick, and I want you guys to introduce your, yourselves just real briefly. But um, Eric Milgren, you uh, attend the church that sent us out, Heritage Christian Fellowship, right? Yeah, that's right. And you've been there since the beginning, pretty yep. much, right? From day one. From day one. Um, Eric, uh, is uh, you were the former... Uh, now walk walk us through kind of your, your career history, who you are. Tell us a little bit about yourself, and then uh, we'll, we'll go from there. I'll try it. There's no short version. I, <laughs> I, uh, I you know, I... I Learned English when I was five. We'll put it that way. Where his life started. I was born in the U.S., but my mom and dad were Norwegian, so I had to learn English when I started school. <laughs> Fast forward, went to school and back in New Jersey is where I did my growing up years because my dad was a scientist, and that's where scientists work, it seems like. And went off to college. My dad died while I was in college. Had to figure out what I was going to do with myself. He had the money put aside. I could keep going, but I needed to support myself. And so the local sheriff's office in a tiny little West Virginia county gave me a job, went to the academy nights and weekends. That was 1970. And I went, I like this. At the same time, I was in a tug of war with the Lord. And he's going, but I think you're supposed to be doing some ministry work here, buddy. <laughs> and I was back and forth, finished college. And I liked what I was doing as a cop. I liked it a lot. And I sensed like I was actually doing something worthwhile and good. Um, End up going to Colorado and meeting a girl who I did a background investigation on to be a dispatcher, <laughs> and her name is Mary. So you knew she was good. I did. You yep. knew her background. And yeah. that's, that's the girl who I ended up marrying. You know, She yep. did get hired awesome. as a dispatcher, and she hired me as her husband. And um, about, <laughs> She pays you? <laughs> about six years into my police career, that tug of war was still there about the Lord saying, I want you to consider what you're going to do with your life. So we actually packed our bags and moved all the way from Colorado back east, and I went to seminary. Mm. And I studied primarily language, uh, Greek, so on. And I went, you know, I was doing more ministry as a police officer than I will be sitting in a church. There are great preachers, and I'm not one of them. <laughs> and so we prayed through that and went back to Colorado and ended up taking a transfer to Oregon. And the rest is pretty much history. I... We got it to Oregon in 1978, and we're not leaving. And so mm. uh, we worked all over. I was working with Eugene Police for about 10 years and got a job here right in Grants Pass where I was the public safety director for 10 years from 87 to 97. Um, and what's the difference between a public safety director and the chief of police? Public safety director wears more hats. When, and when, when I was here, I was the fire chief, fire marshal, police chief. Uh, okay. His background to that, I had... 
uh, in the fire liaison for Eugene and police and fire. So I worked that. I worked my way through college as an ambulance EMT in a county ambulance. Um, so I'd lived in those worlds consistently, and that was always an interest. Actually, I started out after college and after leaving West Virginia as a ranger in Yosemite National Park, where <laughs> I was a rescue ranger. So I drove a fire engine and ambulance patrolled for criminals and that. for lost people, did it all. <laughs> and that's what public safety is. Right. So we went, Grants Pass for 10 years, quick trip to Vancouver, Washington as a deputy chief when I got recruited to come back and I came to Medford and spent the next eight, 10, nine, 10 years there. Mm-hmm. Ended up um, uh, retiring, quote unquote, in 2007 after 37 years of being a cop. And you were the chief of police in Medford, yeah, right, for that? Yeah. Okay teaching in Southern Oregon, but I was also always interested in missions. Um, I grew up always hearing about Africa. My dad uh, was was a chemical engineer and a metallurgist, but he had lived and worked in what's today called Zambia for many years. Mm-hmm. And so all my life, you know, African students were coming through, you know, heading off to one or another school. My dad was a professor before he went into industry. And so he would get... You know, he'd be referred to, or people would be referred to him about, um, hey, I got this brilliant student from the University of Lusaka, and the guy is going to MIT for a, a doctorate. Well, that's my dad studied and taught, so, you know, I'll help him. And so he'd meet, you know, guys getting off a plane going, what is this? Well, this is, you know, the U.S. And so we'd walk him through getting used to it. And so he used to even think, ah, maybe I want to go to, back to Africa and live there. His heart was there, but you know, he didn't, he died before that happened. But anyway, so I had that tug. And when I finished up, I was teaching at SOU, finished up my police career. And uh, I just got to try missions. And so Mary and I went through the perspectives course for the U.S. Center for World Mission on on what are missions. And I'd been on a few mission trips as a kid and then with some Calvary Chapel guys doing church planning over the years. Uh, perspectives is saying, no, no, they were talking about more in depth. And I ended up connecting with Wycliffe Associates, supporting Bible translation. And so I ended up moving for eight, four months to the country of Cameroon. I'm going, well, I could do this. And hmm. came back and I knew that Mary wouldn't move with me. And we had four kids by then. And I figured, what's a plan B? And this outfit called B World, Biblical Education by Extension, contacted me through like a referral thing where you list your resume. And uh, since then, I've been traveling to Africa three, four, five times a year, training and teaching pastors and encouraging churches. And so we have a whole curriculum. It's a, basically a master's in biblical theology and theological studies. Right. So Incredible. that's what yeah. I've been doing for for many years now. It's great work. Three uh, three malaria cases later, and you're yeah, still here yeah, and kicking. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, infectious yeah. disease is real. I've, yeah. I've been the guy. You've been the guy. You know that, I think. Yeah, I do. Three times in the last couple of years, <laughs> I've been the guy where they're wearing rubber suits and gloves and masks because they thought I wasn't going to... It's crazy. ...you know, survive it. And they right. told Mary, I said, eh, he's not going to make it this time, and here I oh, am. So. Here you are, as strong yeah. as ever, man. So, Terry... You attend Philippi, and uh, yes, the, the pleasure of just doing your wedding, what, was it, what has it been, three, four months now? It was like the day before lockdown it was, uh, in Oregon. Yeah. <laughs> and you, uh, <laughs> you know, moved out here recently. It's been such a blessing, you and your wife, Adrienne, to our yeah. church. But tell us, you know, just a quick uh, quick about who you and who you are, and, mm-hmm. uh, and then we'll get into some of the material. Yeah, so uh, I came here from uh, Fort Worth, Texas, 
uh, is where I lived. Uh, that's where I met Adrian on Facebook there. <laughs> uh, just sent a quick message to her. Um, I didn't think it would not, it would come of anything or anything. But uh, yeah, after that, we, we kept talking, talking. Uh, next thing you know, we're in this long distance relationship. Um, but besides that, uh, living in Fort Worth, man, I come from a small town of Hearn, uh, Texas, where there's really nothing going on there. The biggest thing that's going on is Texas a and University and football and all that stuff. Um, grew up there. Uh, long story short, moved to Fort Worth in 2000, what is it, 2015, I want to say. Yeah, 2015. Uh, started going to a great church there, uh, Paradox church uh where they invested in a lot of things in the community lives people's lives in the community uh plugged in got a uh, became a part of uh the net fort worth where they would um we're involved in helping stop uh human trafficking uh taking care of homeless people on the streets um just got involved in that ministry um served there which is it was a really great opportunity to get to experience like what it would be like like seeing God work with like such a, a large, cause I've never been around, you know, that many like people who are considered homeless. I don't consider them homeless. I consider them people, but just getting my heart like pulled toward that. Um, especially uh, women and children who have been uh, exploited. Um, it's just, it's crazy. Just seeing that, that world. Um, it really broke my heart and, made my heart pull to like just wanting to see change just wanting to see people's lives better that's what i was doing there and working there for three years also is a non-medical transport so that's what i did before i moved here as far as work um seeing a lot of things in the medical field um i'm not i wasn't like emt or anything like that but still like being a part of people's lives like seeing their loved ones sick and all this stuff like every day um just being able to help like seeing families like hurting and in pain and stuff but being able to the person that i am like in christ being able to just somehow come into that and be used by god with my work field um uh just it was just amazing the way the way god used that mm -hmm. and uh yeah like met adrian next thing i know i'm on a in my little kia on the road here to oregon <laughs> you know oregon I've, I've never been here before in my life uh, i love the oregon ducks i've always loved the oregon ducks but i've never never would imagine like myself like living here but god's call has has it's it's crazy like when god moves you somewhere for a purpose what can you do you know so yeah. just just following the call of god and obviously he gave me my wife in that process and been going to Philippi. Uh, I think you guys were just when I came. You, when, when I came here, I think <laughs> you guys were having the first get together party at yep, uh, park. some park here yeah. in Grants Pass. And man, like it's just like God just hooked us up with an amazing family, the Robies, and it's like everything was getting put together by God so beautifully, man. And yeah. and and my wife met you and Steve and River, and we all met you guys like at the same time so yep. it was like everything was getting yeah it was funny when i met yeah. you i didn't realize that it was your first time ever meeting your future kids yeah and your I, first yeah, time yeah, yeah. really yeah, just, I, just yeah. getting there yeah. i was like yeah yeah and they were like hey dude come play croquet you're like yeah okay 
<laughs> it, was yeah. a fun, it was a fun thing, man. It's and been I, such a blessing to have uh, <laughs> you you up here, man. Your your just yeah. love for Christ and your mm-hmm. love for the gospel is contagious. So yes. So anyways, cool. Well, let's let's get into some of this. So uh, part of the reason that that we kind of set this up. The way that we did is, as you guys know, anyone that is not living under a rock knows that we're living mm. in just some really crazy times. Um, it's been kind of the perfect storm, mm. if you will, in, in the world that we live in. It seems like, um, you know, there's there was there was COVID that that hit, and I think just really was unexpected. Yeah, I mean, when the ball dropped on January one, I don't think anybody was expecting 2020 to look the way it has, right? And so, so that happened, and then immediately after, we saw the death of George Floyd which just really caused some some crazy, crazy craziness throughout the yeah. the country and everything from massive protests to conversations to riots to you name it. Um, and I think a lot of us uh, as Christians, as, as individuals, we're just sort of sitting here watching this on the news thinking, how do we think about this? Absolutely. And how do we understand this? And how do we frame this? And I know for me mm-hmm. as a as a a Christian in particular, mm. I want to think about it, not the way that the media tells me to think about it or the way mm. that so-and-so tells me. I want to think about it the way Christ tells yep. me to think about it. And, and so for me as a pastor, I've been sort of having this desire to speak to the issues and want mm. to lead our church, but just not really knowing exactly the words, not really knowing exactly all the details. And I thought maybe it would be better to have a conversation yeah. with two individuals that I respect that have experiences mm. that I think would help um, bring some clarity. So, so Terry, your experiences as a black individual, as mm. a, uh, you know, the, you know, growing up that way and, and growing mm. up, um, having probably experienced some of those things, potentially yep. love to hear about some of that. Eric, yep. you being a police officer, some has worked in, in that for, for so long. And then most importantly, both of you being Christians, both yep. of you being mm-hmm. born again into the new, the new family uh, of Christ, uh, which is our truest identity. Mm-hmm our most eternal, eternal identity, I thought maybe it'd be kind of cool to have a conversation. Um, and I'd love to just value, cherish your guys' perspectives and experiences. So, mm. so Terry, I want to start with you and I, I really, and I'll ask you the same question, Eric, but I want to start with you and just say when, when that happened with George Floyd yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. I think it made all of us sick, right? I mean, there's not, I, I can't imagine there's a lot of people in this country that didn't yeah. feel sick watching that, but when that happened, what, what are you feeling and what has that brought out in you? Yeah. Um, well, I want to hear your reaction to mm. everything that's going on right now and your perspective. Yeah. Um, so yeah, for me, man, like when I first, when I first saw that video, I think I, w- I was just sitting in my car after work and, uh, I was just on my phone. I, ha- I had no idea that it had happened already. Um, and I, as soon as I, I started, I saw the video, I was just like, what is this guy doing? Like, what is this officer doing? You know what I mean? Cause I, I was like, why is his knee on the back of this man's neck? Is he going to get off? You know what I mean? Cause that, that's right. You know, he's just, I was like, oh, he's just arresting this guy. Like, what's the big deal? Next thing I know, it prolongs, it prolongs. And the guy, George Floyd saying, you know, I can't breathe. I'm going to die out here. Like, and then it, what, when it, it really hit me hard when this, this grown man is on the ground and he's calling out for his mother. Like when I heard him call out for his mom, that immediately struck me. Like, it's, it's almost as if like I went back to a, a kid who who could not help himself like as a kid like mommy like mom i need you come you know rescue me come to my aid right like when i saw that like that's that's when it really started sinking into me like this man is probably gonna die here today like he's being murdered like right here like on live camera like right here and man like immediately it's just like this heavy like I wouldn't say anger, but this heavy 
sadness hit me like immediately, like heavy sadness on my heart. Like first thing I started thinking about was not only George Floyd, but his family could be watching this. You know what I mean? And then the hundreds of thousands of not only African-American people, but people who just in general, like just love humanity, people who care about life, people who care about um, fairness, just watching this happen. Um, and immediately, man, I just became like overwhelmed with emotion. Like, like, why is this, why is this happening again? Cause we've seen, I've seen this in the past, uh, right. with, uh, different other cases, uh, Trayvon Martin and, and, and all this stuff. Like, I'm like, what, why is this happening again? Why is there another black man on the ground being forced dying in the hands of, of police officers? Not saying that, you know, for me, I don't think every cop is a bad cop. I don't, I don't, I don't have that mindset to where every cop's evil. Cause I don't, I don't know. It's not my job. I don't know motives. I don't know hearts. Only God knows that. But at the same time, because of the past, what has happened already in my mind, I'm like, why, why is this happening again? Why do I have to see another murder of a black man on television or on social media, like live in my, in my face, in my presence? Like, why is this actually happening again? Um, and just immediate sadness, immediate tears started. I it's like, I couldn't even control my tears. It's just like tears just started coming, you know, like emotionally. Um, and, and, and in my thoughts, it's like, what now? Like what, what, what is going to happen now? You know, is it going to be, it's like the same repeated thing over and over again. Like, is there going to be justice? Is there not going to be justice? Like, I know for sure, like there's about to be riots. There's about to be angry people in the streets. I know that for sure. But why does this keep happening? Why does this keep happening? Like over and over again is that's the main question that I had. Like, why does this keep happening? Why? Why do we have to suffer through this all the time? Like, it seems like it'll go down. And the next thing you know, boom, mm -hmm. like it happens again. Like, why? Why? Yeah. So yeah. like for me, my mighty, my immediately think immediate response to that was like, why is this happening again? Why do we have to suffer in our hearts and in our minds with this sin, like with this, mm -hmm. because of sin, that's why this is happening, obviously. Mm -hmm. But why, like, it's just, why yeah. does it keep happening to the same people yeah. over and over again? Yeah. Like yeah. 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 Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Uh, Eric, so I'd love to hear your perspective. So you're, you're watching this video from the perspective of someone who's been a, you know, has been a professional, uh, someone that did this for, for a living and not only yeah. did that, but managed a department and, and trained police officers to imagine. And, and so how do you view that? Um, you know, what, what were your thoughts initially and, and help us understand that, you know, Terry spoke for me, I think yeah. just, I felt the same way. I'm going, yeah. what is going on here? Mm. You know, and it was just utter craziness, you know? And I mean, I always think big picture and I'm thinking, you know, we're such a disorganized country. You don't know what you're going to get when you dial 911. Yeah. You know, it's like pulling a slot machine's lever. You don't know. You might get a, a brilliant, trained, restrained person, mm -hmm. or you might get somebody you wouldn't want living next door to you. Right. Um, so, you know, I, I just, and when, when that happened, Terry, I, I thought that they were going to be real big riots. I didn't know they'd go as far as they had. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my take on that is, the cork's out of the bottle. I, I started in 1970. I grew up back east. I remember getting out of high school and the riots in Newark and places like that. 
were happening way back then. And I'm going, same story again, no progress or little progress. Or there's progress and then we fall back. Mm-hmm. You know, giving people a chance. You know, um, you know, it's just to me unbearable how people are mistreated. And not just the police. I mean, you know, the police are the pointy end of that stick because mm-hmm. that's what you see. But can someone get a job or not? Can their kids get an education or not? Are they in a decent school or not? Can they be safe when they come home from school? Can they walk in the mm-hmm. neighborhood? You know, all those questions need answering. Mm-hmm. Terry, you kind of lit my fuse a little bit when you mentioned that you were in a church where you got it, that you got outside the walls. Mm-hmm. Probably that's the place I have moved to in my entire life is more and more, not that churches are social workers, mm-hmm. but we have a gospel to share and a life to live Absolutely. that are our, our testimony to what yeah. and who we are. Yeah. And... Uh, I, I just it's kind of a sidetrack here. I don't want to say where one of my sons is a police officer in a big city. And after that happened, I said, what's happening in your city? He goes, well, we have thousands of people gathered. I'm going, you got riots? He goes, no. Mm-hmm. I said, our police command staff 20 years ago was talking to community organizers, pastors, leaders, and the cops are standing at the back while the leaders are dealing. They were laying groundwork to take care of them, their city. And I went, so it doesn't happen everywhere. In other words, there the police had chosen to partner with the churches right. and right. said, if we don't stick together, you know, everything will fall apart in our people's lives and town and places. Mm. So, Do you think that this this particular um, moment is going to change things? And if and if it if it does change things, is it going to change the right things? Or or do you think that we're do you think that the what what's being asked is really clear and helpful or you know is there going to be a response to this that maybe isn't actually going to fix the problem but just you know is going to smooth it over? Well, I said you know over fifty years ago the same things were happening and we thought we had solutions and there were mm-hmm. a few, but we go back we have to have just a solid commitment again I, I I will rely on the church the church the big church the mm-hmm. the body of Christ throughout this entire mm. world indeed um you know represent dignity and 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 truth yeah and self-restraint and uh, do i think yeah some things will change what won't change is the first six months to a year of yelling you know where individuals focus you know that never again must x y or z be allowed to be used or happen um you know, the changes are like braces on your teeth. You know, you can put braces on. It takes a long time and it hurts, but the fix is pretty good. Mm-hmm. Or you can hit somebody in the head with a baseball bat and they got no teeth and you give them dentures. That's right. a fake fix. Right. Uh, so you really need to have, you know, something where hearts are changed and hearts around the block. In other words, they got to hire police officers, train and discipline police officers to do the right thing the right way. <clears throat> you also have to have a community committed to work together with each other. <clears throat> like, I, this, I was doing a study on this totally unrelated to the, the death of George Floyd, but it made me think, you know, I question this. And it's like a big deal to me. Why do people even, quote, allow, unquote, their kids to be shot down on the streets? You know, why? If, for example, I just use Chicago because I I'd say they have good stats. You know, on a weekend in Chicago, 80, 90 people get shot. I didn't make a mistake on 80 or 90 people. Why in the world aren't the police going, this is the biggest thing we've ever seen. And none of those might be a police shooting. And so it's like I point fingers at everyone. Police, why aren't you connecting with those community leaders? Why aren't you in the churches saying, this is crazy. Your kids aren't going to survive till adulthood. Mm -hmm. Page two, people in the community, why in the world are you pushing the police away? 
you don't trust them, get to know them. So there's, there has to right. be a, a mutual communication and respect both yeah. ways. You know, yeah. police don't sign up to watch people murdered. Right. People don't mm -hmm. have kids to have them shot down in the streets. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We have a mechanism. It, you know, again, the body of Christ yeah. can do a whole lot more than gather on a Sunday. Amen. And it yeah. doesn't mean we're social workers necessarily. It could. Mm. But, but sure, um, mm. just, you know, we're responding the right way. Yeah. And then another one, like, I, I just, I'm, I'm wound up a little. You know, I heard some people <laughs> whining and complaining. You know, that if you follow the news in Eugene, where they have, mm. like, social workers in a van who go out and take calls. Do you mm -hmm. follow that at all? Mm -hmm. Oh, mm -hmm. no. Yeah. And, and I've heard yesterday, even on the phone, my wife was talking to some friend, and they were going, ah, it's ridiculous, sending a social worker to a fight call. Well, I was at the Eugene Police Department when those guys were going great guns. Mm. And the people who loved them the most, these were like stoner-looking hippies, but they weren't. They were like master's degree social workers who would handle mental health crises and follow up on a family dispute. You don't need a gun to do that necessarily. Mm -hmm. And what I learned quickly when I got there was from police officers, don't discount their ability. They make our life way better. They yeah. solve problems. We go with them. We have each other's back to help the community get better. So that's going now. And I know that some cities in Oregon are saying, well, wait a minute. So you're using police money to hire social workers? And the answer is, mm. yeah. Mm -hmm. Why? Because it works. If it makes the police, if it makes mm. the police have less to do, because uh, they have, right, I mean, no, they don't have less to do. They just have time to do what they need to do, instead of going mm. to calls that don't need them. And again, mm. I say that to say, is that a place where the church might have, you know, even here in Grants Pass, when I was the chief, you know, we had chaplains, and they would sometimes take the brunt of a call once it was safe and secure to walk people through things in ministry and comfort and counsel, getting them to someone who might be able to help them and make life better for them. So the, there's a kind of, it seems like there's kind of a gambit to the defunding uh, idea. Uh, some people are literally saying we just mm -hmm. need to completely liquidate our police, you know. Yeah, I'm not getting any ulcers on that one, you know. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, defunding, what does that mean? Right, you know? it seems like and it means... It's just, again, see the other catchphrases, you know, you'll hear right. say, defund the mm -hmm. police. Well, Oregon already defunded the police, if you want to know. I, when, <laughs> when, when we moved to Oregon in 78, this is just an example of where we're spending money, uh, the, city, the state's population is about a million and a half less than it is today. And there were about eight 900 OSP troopers. Mm. And today, there are about maybe 350. The population's a million and a half more. Mm. And we moved all the money into building prisons and jails. Mm. And so mm. we defunded the state police by almost half of their income or budget mm. to build prisons. Well, what do prisons do? They make yeah. mad people who get right. released back out onto the community. Again, yeah. opportunity mm. for ministry. How many churches accept a guy getting out of prison and say, let us tend to you, minister to you, build you mm. up, get you a job, hold you accountable? You know, so yeah. I put a lot back on us as, as yeah. members of the church. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Wow. So Terry, one question I had for you, man, is, you know, for, for, for somebody like me that grew up where I grew up, you know, I didn't, I didn't experience a lot of people of color. I didn't experience a mm. lot of racism. Um, and so I, and I think a lot of people in our country sort of hear this claim that our country is systemically racist and they mm. go, well, I don't, ex my experience isn't that, you know, mm. I haven't experienced that. Is that true? Are we really still mm. a racist society? And I think we would all agree we're biased in different ways to different things. But, mm. um, I think as a person of color, as an African-American, I'd love to hear your thoughts mm. and your experiences on that. Like is how, how systemically racist is our country? Mm. Not, and, and, 
you know, hopefully that the church obviously is, is not, but, but our culture, you know, would you say that there still is deep roots of racism that you've experienced in your, mm-hmm. your life there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for me, um, I, I believe that we are, we are created in the image of God first and foremost. Um, each of each and every one of us are image bearers. Um, and that doesn't give us the right, either one of us, to downplay a certain person because they look different, because God created us all in his image. We're all yeah. loved by God. We're all cherished by God. We're all created by him um, on that level. Um, so for me, like growing up where I grew up, um, as far as like, especially like when you think of racism from where I grew up, the first thing, it's crazy, but the first thing that you I I thought about when it comes to racism because of what I've seen is police officers, which is crazy, but that's because of the things that have, have happened. So when I was seven years old, um, the first time I've ever I ever saw an off officer use his force or authority um was on my mom. And police dragging my mom out of the house, um, slamming her on the ground like face first and I'm, and keep in mind I'm seven years old right so this is already painting a picture in my mind not knowing my mo- my mother's sin at that time you know what I mean not knowing any of that stuff all I'm seeing is what's happening in front of me as a seven-year-old kid so immediately the picture in my mind is there's a bunch of white cops and they have my mother who's black and they're treating her like in a cruel way Right. So in my mind, that automatically it automatically made me have this thing against police officers. Right. So not saying that was right, but as a kid, just from that start in your life, like the hand that you were dealt, you know, the spoon that you had to to grow up with. The first thing that you see when it comes to a cop in action, boom, like is an attack on your immediately immediate family member and that being my mother really put like this this thing in my heart already where I had something against the cops right so and then not only that every time I would see after that every time I would see because I grew up in the projects a really uh, poor area in a small town so every time I would see an officer in action it would be uh african-americans face down on the, on the ground you know or like why is it every time i see uh an officer in action or whatever it's always someone that looks like me that's on the other on the opposite side of him like it's always the person that looks like me on the ground or the person that looks like me up against the wall or the person that looks like me being slammed on a car right so like when you get those those images and those experiences and that's all you see constantly it, it makes you wonder like and, and am i under attack like the people that look like me are we just under attack you know what i mean because mm-hmm. that's that's all i ever saw i never saw a person that looked different from me being treated that way right i've never i never saw that growing up so for me um and for me first First, uh, an experience for myself, like personally, uh, me and like four of my friends were walking home on a Friday night after a high school football game, just walking home like Friday night. We had school all day, pep rallies, all this stuff. Boom. We come from a varsity football game, walking home. Uh, 
we don't have no backpacks because school was been let out during the day. So we just walking home from a football game like everyone else is coming home from a football game late. And then all of a sudden we're walking and these cops, like three or four cars just pull up like beside us. Oh, get on the ground, get a lights flashing on us, get on the ground. We're like, wait, what's really going on? Like, right. <laughs> like, so apparently in the neighborhoods, we, we knew nothing about this, but apparently something had happened in that area and we were just passing through. Right. So I don't, I didn't understand why the cops at that time had to stop us, put their bright lights on us and tell us to get face down on the ground for no reason. Like we, for no reason, basically they're, they're suspicious of however they're acting within how they think they're acting within their laws or whatever. What caused them to react that way against a young group of black males just walking home from a football game. And so I'm laying here face down on the ground. I've never been involved like with something like that ever at this time, like just face down on the ground, me and my friends, like nothing, no weapons, nothing. I think one of the guys might had an icy, like a cup with fruit drink in it. You know what I mean? Like we innocent kids walking home at night or whatever. So after that experience, um, it, it, it made me feel as if like, like, are we being attacked as a minority group of people? You know what I mean? Cause like, that's, that's how it made me feel. Like, are we being attacked? Um, are we hated because of how we look? You know, that, and that, that's the only thing that could come to my mind. And so that painted the picture in my mind that, that the majority of cops are whenever, like they had this thing against me because of my skin, or I had to be very careful where I was at because of the way I looked, or I can't, I couldn't perceive myself to be safe because of the way I looked at any moment. The same thing that happened to me then could happen to me again. You see what I'm saying? So like those, those type of experiences is, those are the type of experience that experiences that led me to think Mm -hmm. that we were living in a world that was racist, you know, or, and then when you get that and then you add to the fact that there are people in this world, um, and not talking about racism, but just because of your ethnicity, you know, where you come from, there are people in this world that actually have hate in their heart for the opposite person. Like, because, Oh, you don't look like me. So I don't like you, you know, I don't, you, because of the oppression that has happened in this, this nation, because of the systemic oppression, all this stuff, like with race and all that, like because of that, when you get people that are opposite from you, that look different from you, and you know, you hear that all on TV, media, whatever. And I've heard slurs, even slurs thrown at me from people that look different from me saying, what are you doing in this part of the neighborhood? You, I'm not going to say that word. Right. But even that type of thing has happened to me. And I'm like, wait, this is like 1990s. This is like 2000. Right. Like, why? Why is this still happening? But then it also reminds me that all of the things that that has happened with 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 segregation and all this other other stuff like civil rights movement, 
all this stuff is not is not f- too far off. Like the nineties was is not too far off from the set sixties and fifties. You know what I mean? Like we're living in a world where that presence is still here. We're living in a nation where that type of oppression, the stench of it, is still here. So even though slavery is not here anymore, even though segregation is done away with, we're still segregated in a lot of ways. I feel like like just from the heart of it, like people have segregation in their heart, even though outwardly we get to drink from the same fountain. Mm-hmm. We get to go to the same restrooms. Yeah. We get to eat at the same restaurants. People are still segregated in their heart, right. in their heart. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. And if and it's that, not race, it's something else. Yeah. You know? and, yeah. Yeah. And I think that, you know, Christ, yeah. Christians are crazy if they think there isn't racism. I mean, they're, they're right. like our worldview, our biblical worldview right. teaches us that humans are fallen. Right. And, and that we right. are naturally going to be either classist or racist or whatever, whatever it is. Mm. But I think a lot of people, you know, haven't experienced what it feels like right. to, to feel like you're the minority. I mean, I, right. you and I've been to Africa, I've been to, I've been to Uganda and, and it is a weird feeling when you're in some of these villages and you're like, mm. I'm the only white guy for like, you know, a hundred miles or something. And everyone's looking at me like I am super weird, you know, and it's, and it's, and maybe that's not the best, uh, you know, correlation, but, uh, or even when I went to Israel and I just remember, you know, getting, getting stared down by the Palestinians and stared down by some of the Arabs, just like, wow, they really don't like me because of where I'm from, you know, and, and wow. there, there, there's a reality to that. I think a lot of us in this country haven't experienced, so we assume it isn't there. Mm. But I think as Christians, we should be the first to the table in terms of saying, hey, of course there's racism. Of course there's classism. Of course there's there's bigotry, of course, there's bias yeah. because we understand the sinfulness of human beings. Yep. And to deny that, I think, isn't really to help the issue. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think we have to be careful, too. And I'd like to hear your thoughts on this, Eric. I think we have to be careful of not aligning ourselves as the church too closely with any particular organization. For instance, Black Lives Matter. You know, right. which if you look at Black Lives Matter and you look at what they're saying their agenda is. Right. It's really terrible. I mean, it's yeah. it's really yeah. it's it's the the destruction of the nuclear family. It's it's the destruction of of, of male and female and heterosexuality and marriage as we know and all these things. Um, and so, as a church, I think we we need to be able to say the statement mm-hmm. "Black Lives Matter" without connecting ourselves to mm-hmm. the organization. You right. Know? But um, I want to shift the the conversation to the church, and you've already brought some mm-hmm. of this stuff up, um, Eric. But maybe Eric, speak to this. You know, what what is our role right now as the church, as Christians? Um, I, I think you know. I, I want to just say first of all that our role is not to s- ignore this and say there's nothing here. This is just people react. This is just liberals. This is just people re- overreacting. Well, I think our our role needs to say no. There is something here. Mm. Uh, of course, we don't endorse the rioting and the burning of cars and the you know all this kind of stuff. Nobody should. Mm. But um, you know, we need to admit that there's an issue first of all. But then, what do we do from there? Where do we go mm. f- from there? What's most helpful? Um, you know, Philippi is only a church of a hundred people. Heritage is a church of four or five hundred people. What can we do in Southern Oregon for the kingdom of God and for our culture, for our society that would help? Yeah, I don't have a quick answer. I don't have a, a good answer that, that covers all bases, you know, but I think, like I said earlier, change is slow. There's a verse I've kind of dwelled on really most of my life. I, I, I alluded to the fact I grew up, you know, son of Norwegians, and they have a mindset. It's real different. They're much more what we call egalitarian. You know, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. You know, you're just one of all of us, you know, it's right. just a difference. And I mean, that dwells in me. It's never going to go away. And I, I'm thankful for it. But I think in 
this is again anecdotal, like Hebrews, Hebrews thirteen two. Actually, uh, there's a verse about. I'll read it. It's, you know, don't neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Mm-hmm. I've built on that. One of my sons was a police officer. He even pointed that out himself. And it's like when you're out there, who are you talking to? You're talking to a person. Who are you talking to? You know. And so you kind of just rewind that verse in your head when you're, if you're a follower of Christ and a police officer, you know. Who is this person? What does she need? You know, what, it doesn't matter, you know, you know, who am I talking to? You know, uh, what, I've got to listen to what they're Mm -hmm. saying. And Terry, you mentioned that, you know, I think Mm -hmm. there's a real problem. Maybe it's off the track a little bit, but you know, there's a tendency to over-police is the term, Mm -hmm. you know, sending a zillion people to fix a tiny problem. You know, Mm. you're a kid walking home from a game and suddenly half a dozen police officers have you on the ground. Would that happen at the country club? No. You know, how dangerous is it to talk to someone in the dark? Well, my opinion, I liked working in the dark better. My senses were sharper and I could see and hear more Mm. because it was much quieter. You know, I don't have to act like an idiot to talk to a young man walking. Mm. You know, hey, can I talk to you for a minute? You may hate cops so much you're going, no, I don't want to talk to you. Okay, well, this is Oregon. We're trained to go fine. Have a nice day mm. if I have no reason. Other places are not like that. Mm. Um, but And that's part of it. You know, you just like I said, it's inconsistent. You know, mm. just that's, that's a real concern I continue to have and increasingly have, you know. Mm. And there's no solution yeah. at a federal level. You know, yeah. Not at all. I yeah. mean, you know, could you imagine having a standard that says the police officer in Nome, Alaska... Will follow exactly the same protocol as the officer in New York, <laughs> right, right? And the deputy sheriff in New Mexico will yeah, do exactly right. what the cops in Denver do. Totally, know? yeah. Um, you know, but you know, selection, training, those are important. You know, and instead of arguing with people, let's build a system where we build up hiring quality people. Uh, you remember about twenty years ago there was the police corps. Yeah, you don't. Your guys are young. And it was a system where yeah, I was eleven. So. <laughs> you know, you know, you know, people with skills and abilities who brought something to the table. You know, they would get their tuition paid and go to a long, long police academy each summer, mm-hmm. and they got some of the cream of the crop across the ethnic, you know, terrain and everything. Mm-hmm. And that was really expensive and well worth it. You know, but then now you go, well, we've got to save money. So we'll hire that guy who got fired from another department. Mm. We got to save money. We can't really afford to do that fancy training you guys have. That's deadly. You know, if we did that in medicine or social work or financial investment, you know, that'd be malpractice. Mm -hmm. That's why I was confused a little bit about the defund thing because I'm like, so if it's broken, like normally we would say, well, it needs more money to fix it. But we're saying right, it's broken, right. so let's pull the money. Shouldn't we be putting more money into training the right people, hiring the right people mm-hmm. to, to yeah. do the job And well? then the big I mean, question, and I don't have the answer, but how do you fix generations of bad practice, poor discipline, right. and racist attitudes? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to start somewhere. Yeah. And there are agencies that have gotten there or are getting there. No one will ever get there completely. Right. You know, it's right. not a uniform indictment of the yeah. whole mm-hmm terrain of policing you know yeah. there are places where i wouldn't want to talk to police officers and mm. there are police departments that are so doggone big they're their own organism you know mm-hmm. yeah. and if you fight against them from inside or out you'll be yeah. alive so to speak yeah mm. yeah, yeah. Um, and yet if you have a tiny little agency and i started in a two-person sheriff's office mm. that's not the way to go you know when you mm. ask somebody hey what kind of training did you get this year uh, i read a book <laughs> You know. like picturing Andy Griffith and Barney Fife. Yeah, and you know, not that's all bad, but you know, there has to be a balanced <laughs> system there. 
Um, you know, it can't be so tiny there's no training resource or backup. And right. even if you're Tinyville, USA, um, there, there are answers. Right. You know, right. and on the other yeah. hand, when you have a department that's so big, it has no face and no personality, yeah. um, that's a tough one, especially yeah. for challenged communities that need help. You know, they, so... It, so I got to ask you something. So the other day, you and I were standing in front of Costco. Right, and, right, uh, right. And we were just chatting in with our masks on because you got to wear masks. Right. Um, and and a guy came up to you and he was like commenting on your duck shirt. White guy came up to you and commenting on your duck right. shirt. Right. And then you know he he I think he gave you like a hug or something or shake your hand or he's like, hey man, love you. I just want you to know I love you. Be careful out yeah, there. Yeah. Right. You know? And he was just really, really, really kind. Crazy. And yeah. uh, so uh, how does that make you feel? Like is that I was just curious about. I'm like, does that make you feel like man? That was awesome. Or does that mean like, dude, that's awkward, man. Don't, don't single me out because I'm black. You no, know, or, man, no, I mean, what? <laughs> Cause I think, I think we're, we're on a no, like, you know, I, yeah. some, sometimes with all this stuff going on, like, um, I walk past, uh, an African-American and I think like, well, I don't want to look at him cause he might think I'm looking right. at him, but I don't want to not look at him cause he might think I'm not looking at him. And so <laughs> it's like, and I don't see, I don't see him as any different, but yet at the same time, I know I don't want him to think I see him as any different. So, right. Right. Oh uh, Yeah. <laughs> So man, like uh that was that was ultra dope, man. Like that that was one of those things where um I'm I'm excited just talking about us getting a little bit loud on the mic. Let me You're good. Go. You're good. No, You're anyway. Um man, like and it's crazy, like that wasn't the first time that ha- that had happened to me. Uh I was in Costco and I was shopping and um there was a woman and her husband and they came up to me and they just started uh asking me, Hey, are are you doing okay? You know, um how are you doing? Uh, is people treating you, treating you well? You know, just asking me all these caring, compassionate questions, right? And they were both like, uh, you mind if we just give you a hug, you know? Mm. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like I'm, I'm, for me, you know, I'm not, th- I'm not, I've never been so deep into the COVID thing to where I couldn't give someone a hug, right? right. So I'm like, yeah, sure, you know? And she's like, we just want you to know that um, we care about you and we love you, um, as a person, you know, stuff like that. And man, like I was almost getting to the point of where I was about to start tearing up and, you know, cause I'm like an emotional person. So I'm like, <laughs> wow. And, and the first thing I thought of was like loving your neighbor as yourself. Right. Like the first thing I thought of was Jesus. When, when you think of Jesus, how would he react to the situations that are what how would he react when it comes to compassion and sympathy and love like how would he react so the way those people were talking to me and their actions was like it reminded me a lot of what jesus called us to be you know what i mean like toward each other um whether a person believed in him or not like how how should we react you know when you see someone else suffering or someone who could be suffering like how should we react and i was just like man like crazy and then we run into you in costco me and the wifey and next thing i know we're standing outside and this guy i have on an oregon duck shirt and then this guy has on a dallas cowboy shirt the cowboys are my favorite nfl team right so i'm like how did god like providentially like set this up right to where it's like okay this guy has on my favorite sh- uh, team shirt in the nfl i have on a shirt that he really loves and all of a sudden it didn't become about that was our initial ex- initial exchange it's like oh i love your shirt how you doing man next thing i know this guy's staring at me saying well i just want to i want to let you know that i love you uh you know man I guess nice to meet you. How you doing? Whatever. But just yeah. the fact that this is the complete stranger talking to me in my face, smiling, saying, I just want you to know that I love you. 
And I'm just like, once again, taken back to scripture, taken back to the actions of how Jesus would be like, I just want to let you know that I love you. You know what I mean? Like that's, I felt, powerful. I felt yeah. God in that. I felt yeah. the Lord in that. Mm. It wasn't just a man coming up to me saying, I love you. For me, it's like a spiritual thing. It's like God mm. saying, I love you. Mm. You're creating in my image. I love you. Right. So I feel like as a church, um, that's how we should be. Right. We should be sympathizing with people who are hurting um, because we realize that they're made in the image of God. Yeah. We're image bearers. Um, and when you see someone, it doesn't matter what what ethnicity they are. If you see someone suffering or you see a people suffering because of the way things are, um, we should be compassionate. Right. We should be loving. We should be uh, supporting them in whatever practical and constructive ways that bring glory to God yeah. scripturally, biblically, um, without, you know, getting outside of that. Because when you get outside of as believers, when you get outside of who you're supposed to be in Jesus, then that's when all this yeah. other stuff yeah. starts happening. And, yeah, and I feel like know, we need to be active in it, right? I right. mean, like, I love right. that that guy just walked up to you. Right, right. Because I feel like if all we're doing is, you know, if all we're doing is 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 yelling on social media, there's no racism, you guys are just overblowing this, blah, blah, blah. Like, right. we're just creating a vacuum for racism to happen. Right. <laughs> and it's, instead, of, instead of yelling that, why don't we just go out and love people and actually say, look, we're going to go out of our way to, you know, um, so I was curious, you know, I wasn't sure how to think about that because I didn't yeah. know how you framed it. So I watched that guy come to you and I just, I went home thinking, you know, I wonder if that was annoying to Terry or I wonder if that was really yeah. helpful. And hearing you say how much that blessed you, it makes yeah. me want to go out and do the same thing. Right. Like as Christians, we should be the first in line to admit the mm. sinfulness of humanity, mm. the brokenness of our world, the mm. need for change, um, the answer to that change, which mm. is the gospel, not just social reforms. Mm. And then the first in line to give a guy a hug, right? And right, just be right, like, right, hey, right, man, right. we care about you because because <laughs> that's how we've been loved by Christ. Mm. You know what mm. I mean? Uh, so that's cool. That's helpful for me, uh, yeah. helpful in understanding that. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, also, too, there was a, I heard another brother say uh, he had some some white friends that was like uh, approaching him saying, what more can we do? You know, we're, you know, to help or whatever. So, and his response to them was, Hey, you don't have to do no more than what you're already doing, brother. Like we're called in Christ to love each other, to walk side by side with each other. Um, we're already a part of a body in a community that's in heaven. That's greater and bigger than all this stuff. You know, when you think of black lives matter or whatever other agendas that they have thrown out there, that's putting ethnicity because for me, like the statement is like, my identity isn't found in my ethnicity. My identity is found in Jesus Christ. So when you look at that and you think that, think about that, what are we supposed to be doing as Christians, right? We're supposed to be walking side by side with each other. We're supposed to be showing love and compassion. So that brother was like, man, just, just let's love each other. Let's encourage, encourage. You're already doing enough. You're here in the fight with me biblically, you know, like that's, you're already doing what you're called to do. I'm, you don't, not put this pressure on you to just do more because you're already doing what the Lord wants you to do, yeah. you know? And as long as you're showing sympathy and compassion and you're with me in this and we're with each other in this to help combat racism and all these things in our community. And we're practically and constructively doing things to make things better. That's what we're called to do. You know, yeah. we're not called to just do yeah. crazy stuff like yeah. that's not. Yeah. 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 We're, we're called to foreshadow yeah. the kingdom to come where there won't be race. 
Absolutely. Or there will be race. I mean, I think we'll carry our ethnicity into Absolutely. the new heavens and the new earth, but, but there won't be racism because sin no. will be done away with, right? And so our job is mm. to, to picture that and model that that now <laughs> in this world, in the church. And if there's anywhere people should see that model, it should be right. in the church. My wife and I were blessed to go to the Acts 29 Global Conference right. last uh, last year in Florida, and it was just so rad. And, and, and a lot of people have been razzing the network about going liberal or whatever because they're trying to be more inclusive of, of other... Um, cultures, but it was so cool because you had church, you had pastors and leaders from all over the world. Right. Um, and the worship was a conglomeratory thing of like, they had Latino songs and African songs and it was so beautiful. And my wife so and I good. at one point, man, we were just sitting there looking around the room and yeah, you got some white guys there from Oregon, but you got just people from all over the world, all different skin colors, all different kinds of music. And I'm just like goosebumps all over me. And I'm looking at my wife. I'm like, this is going to be heaven. Yeah, like yeah. this is what it's going to look Absolutely. like because all every every tongue, every culture, every nation that has uh, followed Christ is going to be there, and, and we're going to bring our humanity with us mm. um, when we when we enter into the new heavens and the new earth, and it's going to be beautiful, you know. So I think as the church, man, we should be first in line mm. for racial for racial equality, but mm. we know how it actually happens. It doesn't just happen by policies; it happens by life change, heart change, gospel change, yeah. right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Cool. Yes, sir. Any closing thoughts? It's it's just amazing. I just it. The, the, the key is mm. faith in and walking with Christ. Mm. And, you know, it's not a big program, but it's rather we individually choose to live like Jesus. Yeah. Mm. And welcome. how do we treat our coworkers mm. from across the spectrum of, of backgrounds mm. and stuff? How do we treat each other? How do we live our life? How do we make our decision? <clears throat> what, what, <clears throat> what decisions form our thoughts? <clears throat> In other words, I'm thinking still about you being, that bothers me. You know, here you are, a kid walking home from a game. Right. You know, the, the wrongness of that is overwhelming. Mm. Totally. You know, yeah. and, and the idea is just simply that, you know, does, a, does an agency train people to knock that off? And they'll come back with their huffy, you know, uh, we don't know what we're dealing with, you know. And, mm -hmm. you know, that's pretty much baloney. You don't know what you're dealing with with anything when you're. Right. <laughs> you don't have to treat people like dirt. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. 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 Well, thank you guys so much for, for this conversation. Yes. I feel like, uh, Personally, like I went from feeling sort of confused on some things yeah. to feeling some clarity from hearing, you know, your guys' thoughts and perspectives. And ultimately it comes back to Christ and it comes back to his, Absolutely, his yeah. love. I mean, I'm, just so, <laughs> I'm so thankful, man. I'm so thankful. I can't say this enough that it's not up to the politicians right. yeah. to fix the world because we know they can't. No, we no. know that they that doesn't matter who's president or who our senators are or who the policemen are. There's still going to be sin and brokenness in this world until Christ, you know, comes back and finishes the job. Yeah, let me reflect on that. You can cut this out if you want, but <clears throat> I've, I've gotten this thought formed up in my head years ago, and it's just getting stronger. You know, Satan delights in the way we invest in political thought. He goes, oh, wow, man, I don't mm. have to do anything. You can sit there and scream and yell. Mm. You know, you've heard, you know, pastors mm. teaching, you know, we can jump up and down and scream for an athletic team, mm -hmm. but we yawn when we're talking about Jesus. But when it's politics, we're back to screaming and yelling and jumping up and down, yeah. ignoring the f faith we have, yeah. the word we've yeah. been given, the leading yeah. of the spirit who's there. Yeah. You know, it's just bite your tongue to the urge to talk passes and yeah. listen to each other. Well, I think it's that confusing, that confusing tension as Christians that we feel because we don't belong to this world, right. but we're still here. Mm -hmm. And so we feel like this urge to see reform and see social change. Mm -hmm. And But at the same time, we have to keep that in balance with the fact that we don't belong here and we're not, mm -hmm. this is not meant to be a permanent place for yeah. us, you know, and yeah. our souls are, our souls have moved and grown into another kingdom. And right. our job Amen. is to bring that kingdom into this kingdom for, for a temporary right. time. So. 
Thank you guys so much. Uh, yeah. Let me just pray for you guys really quick and we'll, we'll end. Lord, I just thank you for these two men. I just pray, uh, Father, that you would bless them uh, as they go about each of their ministries, Lord, and their lives. God, give us wisdom to live in a way that glorifies you, Jesus, in these polarizing and confusing uh, times. Lord, help us to love all people, Lord, help us to love, um, Lord, everyone that you put in front of us in the way that you called us to love them. Lord, we pray for all the police officers, Lord, in our community. Lord, so many of them are Christians and so many of them are good police officers. We just pray that you would give them the grace, um, Lord, to, to do their jobs in a way that is honoring and loving. Lord, um, we just pray for our nation, God, and we pray, uh, Lord, ultimately for your kingdom to come in this world as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right. God bless you guys. Thanks.